of this part of his career, uh, he was able to press maybe 500 copies of each of these. Tim is referring to a set of recordings which were some of the only ones that still exist from his prime. Because there were so few copies made of them, finding these records, they're very rare. When they come up for auction, they're very expensive. But over the years, I've been able to assemble most of them, probably have the largest collection of them. There's only nine total. One nobody's ever found, the other eight I've, I've got either in the original or a tape somebody sent me. As we were talking with Tim about how hard he has had to work to find Roland's records, I kept thinking about that idea of Roland Hayes intentionally cutting the masters, not allowing recordings of himself to get out into the future to people like Tim, people like us, unless he got paid. And all of that took on a whole new meaning when we ended up speaking to one of Tim's colleagues a guy that you also heard in episode one. I'm Bill Doggett. I am an African-American performing arts historian, early sound archivist. Bill Doggett, like Tim, is a historian, an educator, and a record collector. He has a pretty large collection of Black Swan records, actually the sixth largest in the world, according to his estimation. This is Reveille Hughes at the dawn of her career. And uh, he shares them online. This is from... YouTube videos. The Black Swan label. This is the very first recording by an African-American soprano. Let's take a listen. In talking with Bill... I'm grateful I have the collection that I've amassed, but there are no African-Americans in the field. The question naturally came up, why, as we were looking for record collectors, did the field seem to be overwhelmingly white? Like, Bill was the first Black collector we found. As an African-American specialist in this world, what I have seen is the legacy of ownership, of the idea of ownership and of cultural appropriation by white male collectors who have come to fetishize black men, who's not black women, the blue, not the black women who sing blues, but the black men who recorded, you know, at the dawn of, of the race records. He told us about this one example. The most famous white collector in black blues music, famously, I think this must have been in 2014-15, paid $16,000 for this one seventy-eight RPM mm. record. Actually, when we checked eBay, the final price was 37000 for one record. This is a, a record of a black man singing in the 1920s who not only himself, his family, but his entire ancestors had never seen $16,000 ever. Wow. But yet a white man who has an infinitesimal amount of money, he himself and others have created this frenzy, this tornado of high pricing that is reminiscent for me of a slave auction, where how much can I get for this black man? That is... Wow. <laughs> this black, well, I'll bid 14000 No, I will bid fifteen. But this is a black man's music, a black man's record. He, he got $25 or $30 for the session. But now, you know, this white guy owns, owns you. <laughs> it's, it, it's conflicted. That thought from Bill Doggett definitely cast things in a different light. 
There are recordings of Roland Hayes that exist, of him later in his career, and we played you some. But everything we played you was something that he defined on his own terms. And everything that wasn't, he snapped in half with metal shears. After that concert in Germany, Roland went back to Georgia, to that Georgia plantation where his mother had once been a slave, and he bought the whole property right out from under the man who had once owned his mother and grandfather. That guy was still living there on the land that was now Roland's, and out of mercy, Roland let him stay there until he died. 